A brief editor's note before we begin, Ginny was unable to join us for this recording. The plan was to splice her audio in after the fact, however, her personal business continues to keep her away from a microphone. Any references to Ginny appearing in this episode were made under the assumption that she would be able to contribute. We look forward to her returning in the next episode. Hey everyone, it's episode 64 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me is Andrew Brown. Hello. Uh, Ginny, again, is uh, unavailable this week. Uh, we'll be splicing her thoughts in as we go and where appropriate. Uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, the update for Dead Cells, my ability at Tetris 99. We're going to look at the Pokemon Direct, talk about Resident Evil and Switch techs, touch a little on Tales of Vesperia, Armello, Deltarune Chapter 1, and Thea the Awakening. So let's get on to updates from the previous episode. So Dead Cells has had a new uh, balancing update, Andrew. You've been checking that one out? Yeah, but I'd call it a lot more than a balance. It, it completely overhauled the game because it wasn't that apparent in the game's original incarnation, but it was using an RPG level scaling system where the more of the little pickups that you pick up that would in- would increase your character's power levels and also the character's hit points would also actually make the enemies more powerful. You could very quickly get yourself into a situation where the game wasn't unbeatable, but you had to play at a pretty high level of skill to avoid just being annihilated by anything you ran into. So under that system, basically, the more thoroughly you explored every area of the game on every attempt that you make, uh, the the harder you were actually making things for yourself, uh, which isn't unreasonable to expect from a roguelike like Dead Cells, but I am of the opinion that there is no game which cannot be improved by removing level scaling. You know, put a little more effort and a little more thought into how things are balanced rather than just letting a equation figure it out for you. And that's definitely the experience I had in Dead Cells. In addition to adding all kinds of new content and including adding achievements to the Switch version of the game, uh, it has just made it a little bit more enjoyable to play on its regular difficulty level. I struggled through this game many, many times and always died against the final boss in the old incarnation of the game, but on this version, once I understood all the changes they'd made to the systems, I actually went through all of the bonus areas of the game, some of which I hadn't even been to, and the bonus boss I beat on my first attempt, and then I went on to the final boss and beat it as well, so it's a much more approachable game. On its regular difficulty and then even once you beat that final boss then you do unlock one of the higher difficulty levels which actually puts the game about where it was at before the update so i think this is a very good update in terms of making the game far more enjoyable to play and more open to being explored and experienced rather than just playing it as a hardcore challenge like it was before yeah, I'm glad I, I waited, I think, because it was one of those whenever I finished something, I would sort of hover over it for a couple of seconds. I remember how difficult people were saying it was and just saying not quite in the mood <laughs> for that at the moment. Uh, this sounds like it'd be much more my sort of jam in its, in its new incarnation. And that update just takes over the standard mode, like the standard difficulty. 
It seems to have just overwritten everything that was in the game before, and there is a new mode it added called Custom Mode, which lets you tweak things even further, I'm sure, but I haven't been able to unlock it yet. Nice. Uh, I, I actually have this on my list to start at some point very soon, so I will let you know how I go with that. Other update from last week or from two weeks ago when I was last on, uh, Tetris 99, uh, I am the undisputed champion of the one match that I won, which was really nice. Yeah, after two weeks of playing this every day, each time promising that I was only going on for a few turns and in fact spending three or four hours on it, uh, I did actually win a round of Tetris 99. A bit understated, there's no fireworks... Uh, there's no real congratulations. The game just sort of ends uh, to the to the point where I thought, like, wait, how have I lost this? I was nowhere near the, the top of the screen. What the hell? Uh, and no, I'd won, which was a nice surprise. And once I processed it, I was obviously delighted. And it hasn't dampened my desire to keep playing it. I really like this game. And I still can't believe it was free. I would have paid 10 bucks for this. Easy. But uh, good job it's not published by Capcom, which we'll talk about soon. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, and with that, and with that, that excellent segue, let's move on to the latest Switch news. Okay, well, we'll start that as not to ruin uh, my segue there. Uh, Resident Evil 0, Resident Evil 1, and Resident Evil 4 HD remasters are all coming on May 21st. Please stop doing that, publishers. Please space them out. They're coming with a hefty switch tax, which we've got here is probably roughly the same price as the physical release, which is already shady ground. I know people do it, but yeah. Now they're retailing at $30 US. Yes. I, I think I saw in England, was it £30 as well, which is exchange rate wise is way worse than anywhere else. Yeah, I was a bit bit surprised, uh, considering you can already buy most of these games on other more powerful platforms for cheaper already. Yeah, the day they announced this, the day they announced the prices, Resident Evil 4 was selling on Steam on sale for $5. Mm. That's annoying. Oh, it's beyond annoying, but you go ahead and finish, then I'll throw my bits in. Yeah, I try not to get hung up on the prices for things, but I think... This is a step too far. They're, they're testing to see how how much they can get away with, obviously. Like Resident Evil 4, right? It's, it's one of my favorite games of all time, if not my favorite game of all time. Like, I'd still want to buy it at some point. Would I get it on release for 30 bucks? I don't know. I'm very torn, but I don't want to reward them for this either. So if I was going to actually pick it up, it would be one and not all of them as would have been the case originally mm-hmm. or what, what what my original plan was yeah that sucks there is a fair point to be made here that maybe maybe development costs for these ports cost more than they expected them to and that accounts for the price hike i'm willing to accept that that may be a possibility but I don't believe that is the case, personally. I'm not basing that off any insider knowledge. I'm just saying that I think they're just being greedy, and I'm calling them out on it. And if they want to present something to refute that opinion, they're welcome to. Uh, But there are some points to refute 
for people who are defending it. I've seen very few, but I just want to address them anyway. Uh, they're price matching the physical release. Well, first of all, <laughs> uh, the physical release is already marked up. We've talked about this on the show in the past, that one of the reasons that Switch ports cost more than they do on the PlayStation 4 and on the Xbox One when they are released physically is because the cards cost more, especially for the bigger games. The cards are very expensive for the publishers to buy from Nintendo. That's why L.A. Noir cost more, and that's why L.A. Noir and Doom and Wolfenstein, even when you buy them physically, you still have to download part of the game beside of it, because even then, buying the bigger cards, the cards still weren't big enough to fit the entire game. But talking about Resident Evil, I've looked at the file sizes on the eShop. They are not any bigger than Resident Evil Revelations, which came out back in 2017, the first year of the Switch. And that bundle only cost $40, whereas the Resident Evil Origins Collection, which has RE0 and RE1 in the package, the Origins Collection is $60. It costs $20 more uh, for something that is the same file sizes, and for games that are 15 and 20 years old now. Uh, so that is not okay. But, you know, somebody might come at me and say, well, you know, Andrew, you've bought overpriced ports before. And that's true. I bought The Binding of Isaac, which was one of the first games to come out on the Switch, and that game cost $40, which is ridiculous for Binding of Isaac, which you can get for $5 on pretty much any other platform out there. And I bought Skyrim for $60. I bought L.A. Noir. That was $50. I even bought Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate for $60. I was happy to pay the extra price for that because the Switch had not been proven yet. I wanted to buy those to show that, yes, I am here. I am one of the people who is going to support this system, and I will pay extra to show that. I was willing to do that. The Switch is setting sales records now. It has been established that things on the Switch will sell well, so there's no need for me to be spending extra money now to demonstrate my loyalty to the platform, especially Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, which was specifically put out by Capcom in the Western territories over a year after it was already released in Japan for a full $60, which I think anybody could reasonably say maybe that was a little bit too much to charge for that game, but I bought it anyway because Capcom was not sure if, if they released anything on the Switch if it was going to be successful at that point, but Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate was released and it sold better than they expected, and that was supposed to be the end of it. That was supposed to be the indications that when Capcom publishes a game on the Switch, people will buy it. And then even more recent releases like Diablo 3 and the Final Fantasy remasters, which are still over a month out at this point, those are also releasing at full price. Well, that's true, but Diablo 3 and the Final Fantasy remasters, they also released at an equivalent price on the PlayStation 4 when they launched there. They have since become cheaper, but when they were new on the platform, they were full price. So I completely accept having to buy it at full price when it's new on the Switch. There's not a problem there. So I am just completely disgusted with this. I cannot believe they're pulling this. There's no reason to pull this that I can see. You know, Capcom has been dragging its feet on releasing games for the Switch, and now they're doing it. They're hiking the prices up. So I am 
doing this myself. I'm asking you to do it, Andy. If Ginny was here, I'd ask her to do it. I don't know if she's in Resident Evil. I'm asking anybody out there who's listening. Do not buy Resident Evil 0, Resident Evil 1, or Resident Evil 4 until they're on sale for less than $20. Because this is unacceptable. Yeah. That's fair. I, I absolutely understand that viewpoint, and I, I have been considering it uh, in light of the conversation that's been happening in this last week. The the only thing would be Resident Evil 4 with those motion controls, but you know what? I've got enough to play. I can wait. If they had just released Resident Evil 4 just by itself, I might have been able to swallow the $30. I might have said, okay, they put an extra $10 on there for the motion control development porting. Fine. You know, they didn't do that on Revelations. <laughs> Apparently it was not necessary for those two games, but I might have been able to swallow it. But all three games on the same day with the same price markup, this is greed. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it sucks. And I think that they may have shot themselves in the foot here. But And you know what happens Like if these don't sell well right out the gate? Then they're in a position where they're like, oh, well, our stuff doesn't sell on Switch. And that's the mentality they always take. It's never their fault. Well, if that's the case, then they're going to miss out. Because... <laughs> and again, especially when I own them on more powerful platforms where I could just play them already. Like, But, you know, like I'd like to play Resident Evil 4 with motion controls on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't really want to play it again on, on PS4. So it's just... It's just a frustrating situation all around. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past. All three of us have asked for the Resident Evil 4 to be ported to Switch. And I have said myself, the Wii version of the game with the motion controls on it is the definitive way to play Resident Evil 4. But that's on the Wii. It's still in standard definition. So I was very excited to have Resident Evil 4 in high definition with the motion controls. So if if I'm a little hacked off about this right now that's probably a pretty big reason why because i feel i'm being extorted for my enthusiasm yeah if they were priced appropriately like i'd have no even if i wasn't going to play them straight away i'd have no qualms paying full price for all three on on release yeah but absolutely that's thrown out the window for me now i was completely willing to pay 20 dollars a pop for them i thought that was perfectly fair because that's what they cost on every other platform when they're not on sale but I'm not buying them for $30, Capcom. Forget it. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's uh, dump the negative stuff, uh, I I assume. I don't know what you're going to say about <laughs> the next item. Too uh, much there anime. Was a Pokemon Direct. <laughs> Too much anime. <laughs> there was a Pokemon Direct uh, this week uh, to coincide with Pokemon Day, which is, what was it, 23rd anniversary, 25th anniversary? A big anniversary for Pokemon, anyway. They announced... Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield looks like it's set in my my home country in England thanks to basically the shape of the map and some of the the landmarks and uh, there's the obvious Scotland bit where they're locked away by a wall. <laughs> Was that Hadrian's Wall maybe? Yeah, Hadrian's okay. Wall. Uh, also adapted in Game of Thrones to be the wall, uh, which is what that is. Mm. I... I love the visual style. It's completely different to to Let's Go. I was expecting it to look more in line with that. I thought that was like their testing bed uh, to see what they were going to go with. Like the colors are are richer. The environments look beautiful. They're going for camera angles more akin to 
Sun and Moon. Uh, I really love the starters. Uh, Skull Bunny will be my boy. Because uh, I always go with the fire types, even after what they they did to uh, Litton, Litton in the last one. <laughs> he had so much potential. But the one big takeaway from this trailer for me was the random battles. After Let's Go, I kind of don't want to go back to random yeah. battles. It fe- it will feel like a step back, and I you know like I do enjoy random battles. I enjoy grindy JRPGs. I enjoy grinding in JRPGs. I uh, I just don't think I can go back to it after this. Time will tell how I go on that. Um. So what did you make? Of this short little teaser. Well, that's the thing is, it's a short little teaser. We couldn't really see much of it, and even things we may infer from this trailer may not be completely accurate as to what the game actually is. We're probably gonna have to wait till E three to really see those things. What I did see here looked very safe, which disappointed me. I kind of expect too much from Nintendo's big flagship franchises now after breath of the wild i i expect all of them to get the same kind of update that breath of the wild got that's why i was disappointed with mario odyssey when basically nobody else was i'm very alone on that hill and i looked at this and i was like yeah it looks nice the graphics are definitely updated and there's a screenshot going around that compares the models in the game to the models that are in the the pokemon let's go titles and they're using the same character models but they've got this much more attractive filter for lack of a better word put over them so that makes them look a little more animated and have they have much stronger shadows on them you know after the success of pokemon go and the experimentation in pokemon let's go and then the detective pikachu trailers are out that just look delightful they've got these super fluffy and more true-to-life renderings of what Pokemon might look like if they were real in this really urban, dirty environment. I was kind of hoping we were going to see a real revolution in what Pokemon has been for the past 25-ish years, and what I saw here was the handheld games we've been playing forever you know i'm, I'm tired of running in, cir- in circles in tall grass i'm tired of that stuff i wanted something besides that i, I was hoping for you know real-time battles or battles at least that take place in that overworld environment instead of you know the screen flashing and sending you to this abstract environment you know, like uh, like the battles in Monoliths RPGs. That's the kind of stuff I was envisioning and hoping we would see. And, like, the environments themselves, they still look like extremely decorated hallways where there's a lot of nice scenery to look at, but it's all wrapped off behind invisible walls, and you're really just running around highly textured hallways. You know, I just... I was hoping for more. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. I'm still holding out hope that the game's going to be a little more open-ended than what we're used to. You're absolutely right. It is just like a... It's an attraction ride where you just go from stop to stop to stop and catch the different things that appear in those particular regions. It is also one of those series where they never really have revolutionized things. I feel like Let's Go is is kind of the most creative or the most risk-taken. Yeah. With the sort of core core franchise system, so 
Um, I was sort of in the middle. I, w- I was hoping for something a bit more revolutionary, but then also I didn't want it to stray f- too far from the the Pokemon games I've certainly come to love in such a short space of time. If you're a new listener, I, I didn't play Pokemon in my youth at all because I-, I just missed that boat in terms of growing up. I was already looking to kill things and thinking that was mature and gritty uh, in my misguided adolescence. Uh, and then I sort of come back come back to pokemon more recently my first one was black and white and like i've just sort of gone through a bunch of them recently and finished them so yeah i was sort of in between where you are with that like breath of the wild was such a big game changer for for the zelda series yeah i get what you mean you you want something of that scope to to really excite you but equally there's those people that just want a franchise to feel like a, a set of comfy slippers you just slip into them you know what you're in for you know what you're gonna get uh, i i'm just i'm sat in in between that i kind of want both <laughs> well I, I understand why it is the way it is because you know they're focused much more on the combat and you know they're they're working with assets they've been using for a long time like if you go back and you play pokemon stadium on the Nintendo 64, on a lot of the classic mons, they're still using the same animations they had back then. They're just on updated character models. And, you know, we're up to over 900 mons now, however many we're at. So I understand why, just from a practicality standpoint and a development standpoint, they may not have the technological capability to make the kind of game I was thinking of without going back to the basic 150, if even that. So, you know, I was probably expecting too much, and I'm going to play this game. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. I usually enjoy the Pokemon games. Uh, I think the last ones I just gave up on without finishing were uh, the Diamond and Pearl series. But I just, I was really had my fingers crossed that we were going to see something new and exciting here not just last year's pokemon with a new paint job uh which starter do you like at this point without knowing anything about the revolutions well if there's another firefighting type i'm gonna be pretty ticked because <laughs> <laughs> i i go back to gen one so when i hear a fighting type i'm like nope no thanks nope no fighters on my <laughs> team nope <laughs> that's not true anymore they've rebalanced the game since then but it's visceral we can't help it we see a poison type or we see a fighting type, we will refuse to use it. <laughs> mm. uh, but none of them, none of the starters really made a big impression on me. And I know you like uh, Skull Bunny. Ginny likes the, the water chameleon. I'll, t- I'll just take the green one. I- I'm fine. Fine with that. It's fine. Cool. Well, we'll take one each and uh, see how that changes things. Just oh, one other thing, just before we move on to what we've played, uh, Art Twitter has gone off on the Pokemon starter reveals. That is well worth a look because there are some talented artists doing some hypothetical evolutions that are just amazing. Check that out. Uh, and so with that, let's uh, talk about what we've played this week. Okay, I don't want to spend too long on this one because... Uh, it's hard to do without without spoiling it. Uh, Tales of Vesperia. I've I've played a whole heap of this this week. I've, I'm just over the thirty hour mark, um. So I have in fact got to the things that we were talking about last time I was on. Yeah, this game poses some interesting moral questions. Yuri is fascinating. 
at this point. He's he's reached a point in the story where what he's done has sort of fractured the group. None of them are against him, but some of them don't know what to make of him. It's sort of not explored as directly as I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's ma- mainly uh, Carol who is the one who takes it the hardest once he realizes. But uh, there's this really interesting dynamic there between Yuri and his best friend Flynn as these two people that want the same thing but just have these completely different approaches for it. I really enjoyed that. The combat. Uh, now I, I I wasn't really hot on this when I first started. It is growing on me at this point, um, but it's still very very clunky. Uh, you actually helped me identify an issue I was having during the week where, in combat, it would seem that uh, Yuri would just decide not to run, and he'd do this slow walking mechanic, and I'd have to attack, and then it would let me do the the proper running action, and we narrowed it down to a thing where if you press to walk by accident in combat it will then lock you into that regardless of how far you push the the analog stick and you have to actually reset it to run again which is just the oddest thing ever considering like it doesn't do it anywhere else i never once encountered a situation in combat where i would want to walk i'm sure somebody out there is going to say well that's because you don't understand the strategy you're supposed to be using you know that's probably true but (laughs) uh I played this game for 60 hours, and if I hadn't figured it out by then, I'm never gonna. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, finished it yet, then, at 60 hours? I beat it last night, and I know you and Ginny are both playing it concurrently, so I don't want to say too much about it. Good call. From the first time I talked about this game on the show, I was not wild about the combat, and that never really improved, because the things I wasn't wild about are in the combat from the beginning of the game and then they start stacking more and more systems on top of it many of which i never really fully engaged with all the way up to the final boss you know i understood they were there but successfully doing them in this increasingly chaotic combat environments you're thrown into often felt like luck and one of the biggest issues I had was that walking problem that you were also having. But there were just so many just little tiny things about just the combat alone in this game that I could complain about. And it just all builds up on top of each other and grates on me over the duration of a game that took me about exactly 60 hours to beat. I was very pleased to be done uh, from a combat <laughs> standpoint. But I have opinions about the rest of the game too, but I'm going to wait for you and Ginny to catch up before we talk about those. So we, we can talk about them all together okay. from the same place. Yeah, on that combat stuff, like I'm the same. I haven't really engaged with some of those secondary mechanics and I'll I'll be in the middle of combat and go, oh yeah, that's a thing, and then try and do it. I agree with you. Like, So I have this thing with, with JRPG jrpgs where i i start off and i'm just in the rhythm like the the usual rhythm you're running through combat simplistic you're just sort of churning through the battles and then you get to that one boss fight where it's just like oh no now i need to look into the tactics and and that fights seem to be like the hardest hardest one in the game so far uh that was um the the wolf on the hill 
Yeah, yeah I, that was the yeah. one I struggled with the most too. That was that was the only one I really gamed over on several times before I could beat it. Um, I did have a stupid situation where the game wouldn't let me save, but wouldn't let me visit a shop, and then had to have me fight solo against the two comedy characters. Ugh. And they were just getting the better of me because I couldn't heal. And it was just like every time I went to hit one, the other one would interrupt. Yeah. And that was that was a frustrating couple of hours until I worked out I could just use one of the first arts that I had <laughs> as a distance attack. Yeah. And that sort of got one down for me. <laughs> but yeah, I spent a, a stupid amount of time on that before I remembered that art that I had <laughs> arranged out for Yuri. <laughs> but yeah, it's been easier since Catuzo. Sometimes I find uh, that the tactics are inconsistent like i'll have the right tactics but it just won't work for whatever reason one time but it'll work perfectly fine the next time with no trouble there was a, a boss fight sort of like kind of a boss fight i guess with a, a character called nan and someone else and it took me a little while to get the right config for that and you know how to manage them by having other party members deal with one of them while i focused on on uh nan because she was the healer mm-hmm. uh and like just I, I knew that the tactic was the right tactic because I'd get most of the way there, but suddenly someone would fall and then I'd have to rally and, and fix it and it would just fail and I, I would feel like it's not my fault and then the next time it would just go without a hitch. It it just it seem, seems a bit inconsistent. Again, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe people will yell at me. <laughs> well, I've looked at videos on YouTube of like top-level players playing the Tales games and they will just... Like, have you even played as anybody other than Yuri in combat yet? Like, no. y- you can. You can play as any character you want to. Like, if you're like me, you only play as Yuri, or if you're playing Tales of Symphonia, you only play as Lloyd. But people will play these entire games through, straight through, playing as another character, or they'll even play through it solo as a single character. And somehow they do it. There is a very high level of play, which I've never been able to approach, because that's just the depth that these. RPG systems have to them, but they are not approachable at all. I mean, these people have done their research. It's not just something you can just sit down and just do. You have to study for it to happen, which not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> That's not where I'm at with the Tales series. I, I, I'm still feeling that it's pretty well paced as well in terms mm. of Gattuso fight aside difficulty-wise, oh, okay. so not, not story yeah, or, or length of yeah. dungeons. But in terms of yeah, in terms of difficulty, like I haven't felt underpowered at any point just by, you know, directly going to where I'm going. Yeah. Like I haven't done my usual thing where I stop and overgrind somewhere for ages before moving on just to give me that edge or to avoid hitting a difficulty spike. I've just not had any of that. Is that consistent towards the end? Yeah, uh, I never had to grind once. There was there was the desert area where the zone regions are not clearly marked at all so i accidentally grinded there for a few hours just trying to figure out where i was supposed to go but (laughs) (laughs) i did not purposefully grind at any point in this game i just fought things as they come and i was strong enough to get through the next boss fight just so long as i wasn't playing like an idiot yeah that's what i found it may take me a couple of goes but I'm, i'm sort of i'm getting there the tactics aren't as precise as i'd like and that's where I prefer, I tend to prefer turn-based stuff for this sort of game. Yeah, I definitely prefer uh, turn-based too. Like, 
there are action RPGs I love, but this is just not one of them. This game just feels like it should be more turn-based. And I think if there is an HD remaster of Tales of Symphonia put on the Switch and you played it, or it's even on PlayStation 4 if you want to play it on that, I think you would actually enjoy it because the systems in that don't approach the complexity of this, and it's a lot easier to just play it and, you know, avoid enemy attacks without, you know, having to deal with the free-running circle and, you know, getting your combo meter up into the 50s and 60s and over 100. Like, my combo meter in this game capped out at, like, 40. And I know I can do better than that in Tales of Symphonia. So where I am with this game at the moment is I, I, I love everything about it but the combat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that i i like but i don't love there's definitely things in there that just sort of tug at the back of my mind where it's just like oh come on yeah but this is an older tales game now i'm sure they've refined the system since then so i would i would be open to playing a newer tales game and this one is probably just showing its age but because of the relative obscurity of this game where it was a, a 360 exclusive when it first came out and then it got an updated release on PS3, but only in Japan. So, no, oh, the one we're playing now is like the the definitive edition of the game that has all of the updates in it. But even with those, this is still an 11-year-old game, and I think we're feeling that. Yeah, that that's definitely something you need to keep in mind when you approach this one. Okay, well, let's, let's move on. Uh, I said we weren't going to spend too long on it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about something I was playing just before the show, Thea, The Awakening, something I picked up impulsively. This is an interesting game. This is it's only 20 minutes, so I'm, I'm not going to try and, you know, give it any heavy criticism or anything, or I haven't figured out a lot of it. <laughs> Still in the tutorials, I think. But uh, so far, it seems to be this weird mix of civilization, choose-your-own-adventure games, uh, and roguelikes. Uh, so the the story it's a dark fantasy set in a world where there's been a, an apocalyptic event called the darkness uh, which is you know it's typical fantasy fair uh, and it's set 10 years after the darkness has taken hold life is sort of flickering back into place you play a god whose aim it is to rebuild uh, and how it's set up is you you pick which god you want to play as you you unlock more as you you level up and get more skills interestingly you don't have to just play as a good god you can play as a bad god Ooh. Uh, who was also affected by the darkness that's the thing to consider i have jumped into the heroes game first who's called svarog uh, but the, the available bad guy one at the beginning is called horus there's a bunch of others where you uh you get to level three you unlock a bunch and then a couple more criteria and then you pick what sort of uh, starting style your villagers will have. So there's warriors, gatherers, and crafters. That selection affects like what you start with. So you, your warriors are obviously better at combat. Your gatherers will start with more food and materials so you can get building and things straight away. Uh, and crafters have everything they need to start building better from the start. Uh, so it's hexagonal, a lot like Civ, and you sort of explore engaging combat uh it's a bit of a jekyll and hyde game or it, it's there's so many different types of systems so combat plays out in a card game which was not what i was expecting at all i have just won my first fight in that but i haven't figured out how i won it <laughs> i was just <laughs> on the cards and laying them down and i won and that was great really? 
but uh, apparently it's a roguelike, so it is survival. It's about how long you can last. Uh, I was looking into it. Some people have been able to beat a game in four hours. Some people it's taken them nine hours. You can actually control the size of the maps, a bit like Civilization, so you can scale it to your decided difficulty. The choices you make are interesting. So I've, my character's just uh, woken up to find a weird little demon who's a trickster in their pantry eating flour. And I literally put it in sleep mode as I was about to make that decision, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do on that yet. So, so far, so interesting. It reviewed okay to middling. I like it conceptually. Uh, the UI so far is okay. I've had no issues with it. But it does seem very complex, and for some people that might not not be okay. I'm looking forward to delving more in, and I'll I'll keep you updated. Andrew, one you've been playing is Armello. So this is the sort of like animal-based fantasy RPG. Yeah, I was interested in this one when it came out last year and Ginny played it back then and she liked it. I was interested because I grew up reading the Redwall novels. So when I see like a, a medieval fantasy setting with, you know, humanoid animals, I get excited. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what this game is. And the easiest way to describe this game i think is kind of like a strategy board game but it's played completely as a video game but you can get through a match in 40 minutes to an hour so if you really like those like strategy games you know like civilization or those other 4x strategy games but you just hate how you have to play a match for 10 plus hours just to get through a basic game. You know, this is a, a much more approachable version of that. You take control of one of a host of characters. There's a lot of characters built in, and then there's even more available as DLC if you get the complete edition. And they all have different powers and different strategies that they're better for. But the goal of the game is to become the new king after the current king who is this lion that's become corrupted by this power called the Rot. And he's going to die in nine days. So your job is to set yourself up to replace him. You can either kill the king yourself and you know become king through a Klingon promotion, or you can become the most influential person in the land by just going around being a hero or just picking on the other heroes so that that way they can't become influential. Or you can actually find four magic rocks that are hidden around the map. You can use those to cure the king, where you don't become king then, but you still win the game because that's like the nicest thing you can do in this. And then there's a fourth way to win is to uh, have the highest rot levels, where you can actually start competing with the king to be more corrupted than he is by this evil force, and that'll also let you win the game. And I, I enjoyed my time that I spend with this. Uh, it's a very straightforward game as far as you know you just set up a match and you just play through it and it plays out the way it is uh the ai felt kind of easy at first i felt like they were since i was playing just my first match that it was just kind of letting me have a win as like a tutorial then on the very last turn this bear showed up with four rocks and cured the king and just completely stole what i thought was my easy win from me 
But then there are all, all kinds of things you can unlock. There's like all these different rings and amulets that you can equip on your character before the match starts, and you've actually got to play matches in specific ways to earn all of those. So there's things there to unlock that will keep even, you know, people like me that need either something to unlock or a story to follow to keep me engaged with the game. It's got those. And it's also got a multiplayer mode where you just go online and you just play the game with up to three other players. And there's a, a big update coming out this year. They're, they're just calling it Armello 2.0, but it's supposed to be bringing all kinds of changes to the game, so I'll be looking at it again when that comes out. As a strategy game, I really enjoy it. So if you like strategy games, but you don't like that you have to commit your entire life to play a strategy game, Armello is a great alternative. Okay. Yeah, that sounds up my alley. Um, be interesting to see how it compares to uh, Thea. Now the the last one I haven't played the the sort of precursor to this one, uh, which was Undertale. But you've been checking out Delta Rune Chapter One. So Delta Rune is from Toby Fox, who is the creator of Undertale, which is a very interesting RPG if you've never played it because it actually punishes you for playing it like any other RPG. If you grind at all, you end up making the entire population of the world go extinct and it's actually called the genocide ending and it really makes you feel bad for doing that but the way the game wants you to engage with it and the way that you really see all the hidden scenes and you learn about all the characters is you're actually supposed to go through the entire game without killing anything and it does that by actually making the rpg combat a lot more interesting than just you know selecting attack and then seeing how much damage you take in return and healing that away, you know, those mechanics are there. But when you're dodging enemy attacks, it actually puts you as this little heart in this box on the screen, and all of the enemy's attacks will come at it as, like, bullets or fireballs or sword swings or whatever they are, and you're supposed to dodge them with this little heart. And it's a really interesting idea, and it's a really cool, fun game that has a lot of depth to it, has a lot of hidden things in it. Uh, and Undertale is out on Switch, and you should check it out if you've never played it before, but it was it was a big deal when it released on PC, so I think most people have played it at this point, but totally worth owning on Switch. And Deltarune is the follow-up to that game, and I thought this would just be, you know, just a little demo, because Chapter 1 did come out on Switch on the 28th of February for free, so, you know, a free episode one for an episodic game, you know, I figured it would be, you know, an hour, maybe an hour and a half to get through the whole thing. No, it took me four hours to get through this entire thing. I did everything there was to do, including a very brutal hidden boss, but I did everything there is to see in this. And this is definitely the successor to Undertale. It has the same concepts it has the same like dodging mechanics where like you can kill things but the game wants you to not kill things and you've got to kind of survive enemy attacks and get them to give up fighting by expressing yourself to them in different ways like you might maybe you'll compliment what the enemy has or in the case of like one boss that you fight you just keep talking to him until he finally decides that he doesn't want to fight anymore and it's just mechanics like that the big difference here is unlike in undertale where you had just one character you played as in deltarune you actually have three characters in your party so the mechanics to get out of combat without 
you know, killing anything is actually a lot more complicated now, especially since at the start, one of your characters is actually kind of a school bully character, and how she wants to solve every problem is by literally killing them. So you have to actually warn enemies in combat about her, otherwise she will kill them before you can talk them out of not wanting to fight anymore. It's a very interesting mechanic, and it really adds a lot of depth to these characters, even this school bully character, who initially seems very intimidating and one-dimensional. There's actually a lot going on there once you get past that initial first impression of her. And this is a free download on the Switch, and it's even better than Undertale was, which is a $15 game on Switch. It's not going to tell a complete story because this is an episodic game, and I apparently Toby Fox has said that it's probably going to take him years to finish Deltarune, so you know maybe that might turn you away from it, but I'm completely on board. I enjoyed Undertale, I really enjoyed this, and it's free, and it's a pretty dang good RPG with some interesting ideas in it. I think you should check it out. Okay, so let's uh, find out what we're playing over the coming week. Uh, for me, I'm going to be trying to finish Vesperia, hopefully. Uh, trying to cram those last 30 hours in, into the week. Uh, Andrew, what about you? There's a new narrative adventure game coming out called Beat Cup, and I'll also be looking at Assault Android Cactus Plus, which I got a review code from the developer for that. Thank you very much. And our conclusion, thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. Thanks very much. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community, and follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are down there in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show you can buy us a coffee and the details are on our website if you want to follow us individually andy is at flame roast toast Ginny is at Ginny woes and i am at play critically <laughs>